Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today, our guest to share a bit of their studio stories is Leslie O'Neill. Leslie is a 2010 recipient of the McKnight Fellowship for Dancers. And most of us know her from her many years with Xenon Dance Company, but we could have also seen her in Black Label Movement or a number of independent artists, Paula Mann, Tamara Ober, Maggie Bergeron, and many more. Um, welcome, Leslie. Thanks, Matthew. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. <laughs> me too. This is super fun for me as I'm getting to finally work with you as part <laughs> of the dances presently. Uh, something, you know, I've always wanted to work with you for so many years and the timing has worked out in my favor this time. Uh, I've consistently been just blown away by your dancing and presence on stage. Just, yeah, really in awe of your moving and who you are on stage. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, Yeah, definitely. The, the, always the first question, tell me how you started dancing. (laughs) Yes, the first question. Um, So the short answer to that is that I did not take my first dance class until I was 18 at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. It was a jazz one class. Um, So I didn't start when I was young. Um, But I think that I was, you know, I was doing things that were leading up to a dance career without me really knowing it. I think I remember when I was four or five, taking a tumbling class at the YMCA. My mom signed me up. And I remember the, you know, those gym mats that they have like stacked in every gymnasium. Yeah, totally. How they smell. I just really viscerally remember the smell of those, (laughs) of those mats and learning how to somersault in my tumbling class. And I think I still even have the, the certificate of completion for tumbling um, at the YMCA. And I think that's how it kind of all started. Were you athletic as well, like in sports and stuff or? Well, I was in sports. I think gymnastics was my first love. And although we didn't have a very big, we didn't have a big school at all. It was a small town in Wisconsin that I grew up in. So there was no program for gymnastics, but um, the gym teacher, he did a summer class for gymnastics and um, he might've been a gymnast. I'm not sure, but He had all the equipment set up in the gym, like the uneven bars and the balance beam and a huge floor exercise mat. And I just, I really got into that first, uh, never got super good at it. Like I think my best moves were like a round off (laughs) (laughs) Um, and a back bend maybe in the splits, but I just loved it. And then I went on to do more sports like softball, first t-ball, then softball, and then volleyball. Um, we were a pretty active family, but I wouldn't call myself athletic. I think I just sort of, I like to move around, but yeah, I was more like lanky after a little while and probably kind of awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you said you started dancing at 18? Yeah. So, well, I did start. So at the end of high school, when I got cut from the volleyball team or I didn't make varsity, which was so disappointing to me. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) It was a huge bummer because I thought, I thought I was doing well. I was a setter and I know you and I have talked about this. Um, (laughs) I was a setter and I thought I was doing great. They even had a nickname for me. They called me the hammer in Ah. school. I think I had one great spike and it like the coaches remembered that and started calling me the hammer. So I thought for sure I would get on the varsity team, but I did not make it. And so my friends asked if I wanted to join them on the dance team, which was also called pom pom squad. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I tried out for that. And I think the audition was probably like maybe four, eight counts of movement and doing excuse me, doing the splits on both sides, like right leg in front, left leg in front. And then they would determine whether or not you were good enough to be on the dance team. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I nailed it. I could do the splits on both sides. And uh, yeah, I learned the choreography quickly. It was taught, I think, by the co-captains of the dance team at that time. I think they were the 
girls in school who had like studied at a studio. So they knew what they were doing. And Mm. that was my first time ever, like counting, you know, counting to eight and moving at the same time, but it just, it felt natural. So I got on the dance team and we performed at halftime for basketball games in the gym. And then we also did football season. So we like bundled up for the football game and then performed outside on the field at halftime there too. Um, which was great. It was super fun doing that. And was there cheer involved with that or was it literally dancing and moving? Yeah, there was no cheer. So they had a separate cheer team. Okay. I did not want to use my voice and do any cheering. I just thought that was like really humiliating that I would, you know, I did not want to be a cheerleader. So we just did the halftime show. And otherwise we sat on the sidelines the whole, the whole game. We didn't really move until, until that performance. And, um, yeah, but we still wore like the cheer looking outfits, you know, the skirt, tennis shoes, little yeah. neck sweater, whatever it was. <laughs> and most of it was about the visual of, you know, you had we had like a blue pom pom in one hand and a yellow in the other, our school colors. And then a lot of it was about moving your arms in a way where the the look of the palms moving in space was the key element or like passing them off hand to hand, like to each dancer. So it was a, you know, dance line, I guess is what you could call it. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. So that was really my first dance experience. But like I said, then I went to the university of Wisconsin, green Bay. Um, But I wanted to be, I was an art major. I declared an art major there, but also was interested in meteorology. But after I realized those two things weren't going to work out, I decided to audition for the dance team at Green Bay. And so I, I auditioned for that and I got in under the, I guess, uh, with the requirement that I would take a jazz class. So I took jazz one and that's where it really started. Do you know who that teacher was for jazz class or? Yeah, I just reconnected with her actually. Her name's Denise Carlson Gardner and she's still there. And she teaches um, Gus Giordano technique. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, funny. Yeah. So I first learned how to like chasse, chasse, pirouette, you know, and pas de bourree. That was like the first dance step I remember learning. And I was just, it was so exciting because I, you know, I got it right away and I just loved the the system of it and doing it in unison with everyone. And I just really was into perfecting it. It just, you know, we were all in our black jazz pants and black sports bras and going across the floor. It it just felt like that had been missing my whole life. It was great. That's so funny. That totally is where I started when I was 16 with Gus Giordano. Really? In Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Doing layouts across the floor and switch leaves. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I never got that far. What's that? (laughs) I never got as far as switch leaps or layouts, really. I mean, that's like... That's intense. Like I said, we just started with uh, Pas de Berets. That's like, that was my specialty. <laughs> That's so cool. And I don't think I realized that you went for your freshman year to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, it was about an hour from where I grew up. And it was the only school that I looked at. I didn't have any, I really didn't have any ambition when I was in <laughs> high school. I think I just, it just seemed easy. It was, you know, a budget-friendly Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do, except I knew that I was into the visual arts. So, um, yeah, so it was just kind of a not it was a non-decision, but I did go there for two years. And um, after jazz one, I took jazz two and then I they had a ballet class and they had a modern class, too. There was I don't think there was any kind of dance minor even, but the theater department did offer those classes. So. Once I realized I wasn't going to get any like painting classes or ceramics or any of that in those first couple years, I uh, just kind of dove right into dance. Yeah. What excited you about dance at that time? Well, I think at that time it was really like just the satisfaction of nailing something, um, you know, just being in perfect unison, It all that coming from my dance team background. It was like still the counting and like getting the perfect unison, nailing the right line and the shape. All of that was just really, really satisfying to me. Um, It's so funny, Leslie, because I'm smiling here now because 
I think of you as such an individual and like free spirit <laughs> in the best way possible. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think things took a turn later. <laughs> I still enjoy that a lot. Like that's a big part of my background and it is still satisfying to dance in unison with people. And I get a lot of joy from that and counting. Like I will always try to get someone to tell me what the exact count is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was what I really loved about it first. And then I think the more I did it, the more I just realized that I felt more whole as a person and more alive. I mean, I think I was always looking for a way to express myself with photography or, you know, and being in the dark room was so wonderful. I could process the film in there and just be alone for hours or <sighs> ceramics. I was really into just sitting at the wheel and I had a, a cake wheel in my garage that my art teacher loaned to me and painting, like all of that was so satisfying, but I don't think I was ever the kind of person that wanted to create one like static thing, like an art mm. product that would like nail down some expression. So I think when I found dance, it was like this moving, ever-changing way of being myself that was just endlessly revealing and appealing to me. Yeah. How, so was Green Bay not enough for you? Like, did you, did your horizons kind of grow from there to then end up at the U of M? How did that happen? Yeah. So I, luckily a teacher of mine, um, the modern dance teacher, her name is Eugenia Erdman. She, so she taught modern one and actually her whole class was like a Pilates, a Matt Pilates class. And, but by the end she had us going across the floor doing like a I guess like a waltz step, like down, up, up, down, up, up. Mm. So that was the most dance that was in her class. But um, I loved that class. And one day there was a ex-student of hers, like an alumni from, the, from Green Bay that came in to say hello. And she had moved on to, I want to say Seattle or Portland, Oregon, maybe. Mm. She came back to say hello to Eugenia and mentioned to the class that she had joined a dance company out there. And I was like, what is she talking about? I don't, I've never heard of a dance company. And <laughs> so I talked to my teacher after I said, she's like a dancer. She's, you know, she's professional. And my teacher said, yeah, you can, you can join a dance company. And if you're interested in something like that, you should go to a different school. You should either go to UW-Madison or the University of Minnesota, because that's where you're going to have like real training. So right after that class, I went right to probably the computer lab and, you know, looked up the University of Minnesota. I think I chose that over Madison because it was just a little further away from home. Hmm. Um, and I signed up and got in the College of Liberal Arts right away. And then, you know, had to put my name on the list for the audition at the Barbara Barker. And it was just really impulsive. It all happened fast. I think I remember talking to my parents about it and they were like, wow, okay, there's no context for that whatsoever, but we'll start filling out new uh, financial aid forms. Like they were really supportive. And I don't remember a lot of questions around why I was making that decision. It was mostly like, what about your friends? You know, what about your boyfriend in Green Bay? And I was like, I don't know what about them. I'm, I'm going, like I'm doing this. So yeah, it happened fast. Yeah, I love it. I, it's like you found something and it was like, okay, I'm going for this. Yeah. And it didn't even feel like I'm going because I want a career in this. It just really felt like following my intuition and not questioning it any further than that. So I remember my best friend from high school came and picked me up in Green Bay and to support me. She wanted to drive me to Minnesota for the audition and I remember getting out of the car at the Barker and it was all still under construction because I think then it was 2000 when it was just finishing being built. And she dropped me off there and yeah, the audition was so scary. I had no idea what I was getting into. There was this whole improv section and I didn't even know what improvisation was. And That's I think right. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you this? story. I think so, but share it. It's so great. Well, when I knew ahead of time, when I read the 
you know, what was going to be happening at the audition at the U, I think I read that there would be like a modern portion, a ballet and a jazz, and then there would be an improvisation section of the audition. So I asked Eugenia, the modern teacher, what improvisation was. And she said, well, meet me in the studio at this time and, and the two of us will work. I'll show you. So I met her like after school and we just stood in front of the mirror together. She stood behind me, I think, and like lifted my arms behind me with her arms, like sort of puppeted me and like <laughs> kind of waved them around, like showed me that she didn't know what she was doing, but she was just puppeting my body through her body. And she was like, it's just this freedom of, you know, feel, feel the flow, feel what I'm feeling. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it, but I felt really uncomfortable. And I still have no, I still didn't have any context for what improvisation was. <laughs> so <laughs> when I got to the audition, I think they said, you know, write your name in space with a part of your body, like any part of your body other than your finger. And so I just picked the next closest body part, which was my elbow. And I just, you know, traced L-E-S-L-I-E -E in the air with my elbow. I might have even jumped at one point to like got <laughs> on the eye with my head. And yeah, they did not, they did not let me into the program at that time. Oh, they didn't. Oh my gosh. That no. is so shocking to me. This is all so shocking to me. Oh, well, not to me. I mean, I was not ready at all, but they did place me in modern three and four. So not like the fundamentals level, but the next level up. So they, they placed me in class, but said, you know, you'll have another chance to audition to get into the program after a semester. So I started, I think I started right away with Paula Mann and Maria Chang. They were my first two modern dance teachers there. And Paula, I mean, she, her movement just blew me away. That's when everything started to open up. You know, she mm. was off center and just <laughs> falling and, you know, quirky gestures and using her fullest expression. It, you know, there was like so much of her in her movement that it felt like, wow, this is this is exciting. So that's, that's where it started. And then of course the, like all the other classes were rolling in simultaneously and it just, it was just nonstop absorption, complete sponge. Yeah. 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 So other, other teachers that were there or, or uh, things yeah. that stand out to you? Let me see. So I wrote some of these down. Um, Carl and Emily Flink had just arrived, maybe not right away, but maybe that year after, and also uh, taught modern. Um, Marge Maddox was still there, and I think she taught dance history um, for ballet. I think Tina Smith, I want to say, is her last name. And, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah, and Lorena. Remind me of Lorena's last name. I'm going to be terrible. Varensky? Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, she taught me ballet. Ron Tice was also teaching ballet at the time. Oh, wow. Tony And did I say Tony Pierce was teaching ballet and modern? Uh, eventually, I took her modern, which was the Horton technique. And Zoe Seely. I remember in Zoe Seely's jazz class, you know, I felt like I had had the most training in jazz. But when I got to her class, I was like, what is this? This is, uh -huh. not, this is not what I learned at Green Bay. And she's so much more loose with her counting. And I remember feeling really frustrated. Like you said it was on a four and now you're doing it on seven. I can't, I can't believe this. You know, this is not. It's very Zoe though. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. And I just remember her like hitting herself in the, in the abdomen, you know, for the contraction, just like slapping her abdomen to show you, you know, to basically like suck it in, tuck it, you know, tuck it up. Find your center. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Judith Bryn Ingber taught survival for dancers. Um, Ananya was there. She was teaching philosophy and aesthetics. I think all of these classes have been renamed now. Mm. And Joni Smith, of course, was there. I never ended up in her modern class because I don't know if they still do this, but at the time they were dividing each class into sections. So it's like, even if I was in modern five, there would be like a modern five A and a modern five B. And one of them was just a little bit more advanced than the other. Huh. And so I was kind of stayed in like the lower tier and didn't have the same teacher as everybody in my class always. It's amazing to me, Leslie, that it sounds as though you really like the U of M 
was really your deep dive into all of this training. Yeah, it really was. And although I will say the first year, so I completed that first year and then the summer after, um, my dear friend, Hannah Kramer, who I met there also, I think she had transferred at the same time. She and I decided to sign up for the Doug Verone workshop in New York at Purchase. So we signed up for that. She ended up not being able to go, but I went alone. And that was another huge shock to my system. You know, all these like really advanced dancers from all over the country. And I think I barely made it through that, but I learned so, so much. And then right after that, I went to stay in Vermont with uh, some family. I just stayed with them for the rest of the summer and they lived very near Burlington. So my aunt Shelly, who I was living with, she found a workshop at the Flynn Center in Burlington and it was some kind of an improvisation workshop. She just like saw a notice for it in the paper and asked if I wanted to sign up. And so I did. And I had this week long workshop. I wish I could remember who taught it. Oh Um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I should see if I can look that up. But at the end there was a little performance and, you know, my aunt and uncle and cousins came to see me and it just felt like more, you know, more of the same. My mind was just being blown all the time by these new experiences. And of course, seeing my upperclassmen at the U performing in the, um, what do you call it? The it uh, UDT. UDT yeah, UDT. Yeah, just watching yeah. performances and imagining myself doing that someday. I just hoped, you know, that I could eventually get to do a Doug Verone piece or really anyone. I mean, it all was incredible to me. Yeah. When it's so important to get outside also, like the fact that you went to the Doug Verone and experienced that at the Flynn Center in, you know, Vermont, like having that, it's just eye opening. You're like, oh, wow, there's all this other like amazing stuff. And also how it relates a little bit to the U of M classes and instructors as well, like that just seeing how, how much further one can go or, you know what I mean? I don't know what I'm. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And because of the way, because all the faculty at the university is so connected to the community in Minneapolis and then beyond, you know, like in New York, it, it always felt like, you know, I might be seeing a show at the university, but I might also then see that, I don't know, that faculty members, company perform in Minneapolis. It just starts, it webs out so easily. Um, So it was just nonstop dance. I think I, I don't even remember any other class that I took at the university, except I tried really hard and somehow I made it into this human biology class because they had cadavers and I was really just obsessed with, you know, (laughs) wanting to see, I I really liked the kinesiology class at the U taught by Pam Gleason. Oh Yeah. And so I went out of my way to find a class with cadavers because I wanted to look at, you know, look closer wow. at the bones. But otherwise, I don't remember anything else that I did at the university, but I must have taken other classes because I did graduate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just so focused on that dance. Exactly. World. Yeah. Well, so obviously you got into UDT at some point. I did. I got into UDT. Um, I guess it would have been like, you know, my whatever my junior and senior year worked out to be, I I have a hard time knowing because I transferred, I still don't have a clear idea of what year was what, but I got in and I think the first year I was cast in Esplanade, Paul Taylor's piece, which correct me if I'm wrong. Did you, did your class also perform Esplanade when you were there? It was the, I was a freshman. So that was my very first year. I did not get to perform that, but it was the first year of having that, commission yeah Um, yeah so that's so interesting and I think I I now remember Leslie I saw you in that did you yeah it was it was felt like a huge show or maybe something really special for the U to have at the time but I guess I didn't know then that they had already said it once and Mary Cochran came and Carl Flink was also helping rehearsal direct and I have a really strong memory of that process because um, well, first of all, the first section of that dance was really satisfying because it was like kind of right in time with the music and it was just walking and skipping and 
it was easy to count and we were in this formation that was really clear and like there were interesting spatial patterns. So that all was easy for me. That that's what I knew. But then as we got, as the piece carries on, there's all these sections that are like flying and jumping and throwing yourself off of your axis. And my particular role had a solo, I think in the, maybe in the fifth section, the last big bombastic section and Carl and Mary were working with me to get this solo just right. And I just was crumbling under the pressure and mm. couldn't, couldn't make it happen. It was, it was so scary to be the only one on stage. And eventually they took me aside and said, you know, we're going to, you're doing really great, but we're going to give this solo to somebody else. We just think you're not ready. So they kind of switched my part at the last minute. And mm. I was like devastated, but also mm. knew it's just better this way if someone else does this. <laughs> huh. um, yeah, but there was a lot of other, uh, let's see, what else did I get to do? I got to do another Paul Taylor piece the following year. Um, and why am I forgetting other UDT things? I'm not sure. But I did get to perform in two, I, I think, two concerts when I was there. Yeah. And I feel like we're focusing on the you a lot, but um, I also know that you really bonded with like, you have a group of other female dancers that to this day, <laughs> like get together and hang out and stuff. And I just, I think that's just so amazing. The connection you have with going through all of that together. I don't know. Yeah, I do. I still, um, I was in school with Maggie Bergeron and Jamie Ryan and Eva Moan, Lizbeth Warzonic, Hannah Kramer, who I mentioned. Um, there's more that I'm missing. But yeah, we were all in class together and we're still great friends now. It. I don't know if it's because we were, I don't think that happens with every class, but yeah, definitely special that clicked there for us. Yeah. So obviously you're, you're exposed to Carl Flink's movement and, and style. And am I correct that you were a founding member, member of Black Label Movement? Yeah, I think so. Although I'm having a hard time knowing the exact details of how he started his company. I think it was sort of a, I think it took a while to get, get it assembled. So but I did. I do know that I was there, you know, for the first performing season. Um, I remember exactly where I was in my apartment and the way the light was and where I was sitting and everything when he called me to ask me to be in his company because I was just like hoping and praying that I would be. Um, I took his. So he taught at the U a men's modern class on Wednesdays when there was no other modern technique. And he um, actually, I think. Eva and Jamie and I asked permission to join the men's modern class. And so he was nice enough to let us in. And that's where I think I was exposed to the kind of movement that he would, you know, use in his material for his company. So, um, yeah, it was really exciting to be right at the beginning there. And I think we started right away working on, I want to say, Lost Lullabies. And he had already made his piece Bleeding Heart on some students, but he then reset it on us. Um, and then I think our first performing season was at the Southern in maybe 2005. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you danced with Carl for how long? Um, it would have been about four years. So we did that season and then we did rec, which I believe was, 2007 or 8 and bad with those years and then after that we did field songs which was the last performance I did with him and I, I believe that was spring of 2009 okay and that's with like all the grass yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 so were you part of that piece uh that was like outdoors and fenced area oh with the horses Ugh, I don't think the horses but they're it was at the Southern and it was like, it was kind of maybe oh, the near. project maybe. Say that again. The Wojciech project. Yes. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was right after I left, I believe. Okay. Okay. 
I was I couldn't remember you in it, so that that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And and just can you share a little bit of the process of making work uh, with the company? Oh, let me think. Um, Carl was really collaborative. Uh, we you know we would come into rehearsal and we would have a company class, and then. Let's see. I think, you know, generally there was some furniture in the room that we were working on, chairs or benches or or something. And I think we all just sort of started experimenting with how we could use our body on those pieces of furniture, you know, whatever was like gymnastic and uh, upside down, which, of course, I loved because that's where I started. Um, <laughs> so we would just play around on those things and he would take ideas from everybody and kind of run with them. Uh, he would teach us phrases and then we would probably come up with our own. And it, it just felt like we all were working together really organically. Um, trying to think of anything more specific there. Well, I, I have memories of you in Bleeding Heart. So it's, it's really amazing to me that that was like a remount from, from students in a way. Yeah, I think so. Some of the company members had helped him make it. You know, probably Eddie O'Royan was there in the beginning helping him. Um, let's see, maybe maybe Miriam Castro, who is now goes by Alex, she could have already helped him make that. So there were a few of us dancers that had already worked with Carl to make that piece, and then I, you know, I joined as somebody else's role. Um. Yeah, but I but we started making Lost Lullabies together. That's the first process I remember being in. And didn't you perform that with us, Matthew, at the Walker <laughs> for Choreographer's Evening? Uh, I didn't perform it there. It was at St. Olaf. There was Jamie had just injured her back. And right. I think I learned Bleeding Heart and Lullabies in two weeks' time before the oh. show. Oh, which, of course you did. Yeah, but I... I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm too old for this. <laughs> you know. Oh, oh my lord. Even at that time. So pulled it off. Well, that's just so cool. And and I always just am fascinated with how companies work and run and how things are made. Um, you know, and every process is so different, even from piece to piece within the same company. Like you know, memories of the memory I have of you and Bleeding Heart is simply getting your head caught behind you in, in like a group clump. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, with Wreck, the duet you did with Eddie um, mm. just stands out to me for sure. Yeah, I remember making that definitely. I think Carl, we were just, Eddie and I had a couple of benches to ourselves, and then Carl had a bench in front of the room and, um, you know, we were all just riffing together. And that was really, I think, the three of us contributing to make that at the same time. I remember in Wreck, one prompt that he gave us that I really enjoyed was that he asks all of us to go take a separate space in the room, you know, somewhere private and imagine what it would feel like to be you know, taking your last breath, like what you would, what you would cling to or what it would feel like to be um, at the end of your life, because this piece was about a shipwreck. And I think, you know, specifically drowning. So I went like under the stairs over by the tech booth or something. And I laid there in the dark and I was thinking about it. And really what came to me was the idea that I would just cling to every like physical, tangible thing I could, mm. you know, like feeling the floor around me and trying to smell and feeling my body and uh, everybody performed a little solo for him based on that concept. And then he kind of put all of them in the piece. And that was really the first time I remember being called to like explore, you know, kind of a deep private concept in your inner world and then translate it. And then to be able to perform it, it felt like that was true vulnerability on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think, takes also just a really unique collaborator and mover and person to be able to dive into those places, you know? Yeah. Car Carl and Emily were both 
they really made me feel like that there was more to just, there was more to dance than just lines and shapes and, you know, getting it right in unison, which is what I had, you know, yeah learned from the very beginning, which wasn't too many years before that. So they, they really, you know, I remember them saying to me, like, you have a, um, you know, your mind is deeper than you think, like still waters run deep. Like basically you can say a lot with not doing much at all. And mm. there's, yeah. there's stuff to mind there. So that, that felt great to be seen that way. Yeah. Well, how, so you're dancing for black label movements. You've graduated from the U of M and is that the only company you're working with at that time? Like, or were you doing other independent work? Yeah, that was, there was a lot happening at that time. So right when I started, right when I joined Black Label Movement in 2005, I also did my first sort of tour gig for Robin Steam um, in Oregon. I think I had to, I'm not sure who I was filling in for, maybe Emily Johnson or possibly Kristen Van Loon. And I only say that because I think I saw her on video from one of the pieces I learned. But um, so that, I mean, that was a one-off kind of project, but it was the first time I had been taken out of town to, to dance. So that happened. And that was with Jessica Cressy and Robert Harmon, Eric Boone, I think was there and Krista Langberg. I mean, dancers that were just, mm. like I hadn't met them before and they were just, I, I looked up to them so much. It was yeah. crazy to be with them. And um, also then in 2006, I think right after the first Black Label Movement show, Linda called and invited me to the audition. So, and Brian Godbout, who was in Black Label Movement, also was already dancing for Xenon. And so I kind of heard from him through our rehearsals together, you know, how Xenon was going. And I think he was saying, you know, you should talk to Linda, you'd be great in the company. And then, you know, she had seen our Black Label show. And I think Marianne Bradley even put a good word in for me um, based on my work with Robin. And so I came to the audition. And you got it. I got it. <laughs> I, uh, amazingly, because so the audition was the same weekend as my wedding. I was getting married. And I think it was the day before. Oh, my gosh. I was out of my head and my whole family was in town. And, you know, I, I came to the audition without my jazz shoes. I didn't even consider bringing a headshot or resume. I just like showed up and I, <laughs> I, I was just so scatterbrained. I remember them being like, you didn't bring jazz shoes. You know, what did you think <laughs> you were doing here? You didn't bring a headshot, you know, nothing. And, but yeah, I made it, but also they had, they had uh, also hired Carrie Mosel at the same time. So we were both sort of filling in for one spot that was just available because Amy Beam was pregnant with her first. Oh, okay. So it was to fill her spot. Um, but you know, not knowing if that would be a permanent spot or not. So Carrie Mosel and I got it to, to share. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, it was like Xenon all day apprenticing and then Brian and Eddie, no, Eddie wasn't in that at the time, but Brian and I would drive right over to the Barker together and then go to Black Label until about eight o'clock at night. So they were full days. Wow. And you didn't have to like have other kind of gigs to make a living at this time? Oh no, I did. I was, um, I was working as a server too at Hubert's by the Metrodome which yes. was really close to my apartment over there in Elliott Park. So I got that job really before anything else. That was one of the first things I did moving out of the apartments on campus and moving into Elliott Park. I had that serving job. So that was mixed in there too, and which I loved. That was a great gig because of all the sports fans and the quick, quick money I could make in a short amount of time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The classic serving, serving gig to to support that exactly uh, dance addiction <laughs> yes running into the you know to the restaurant after rehearsal all day and like having just a bag full of so many sweaty clothes and like throwing on my apron and running out and taking an order like still dripping you know from the day it was uh, just nonstop. i think dancers are the hardest workers i think so too there <laughs> yeah <laughs> what what attracted you to dancing with xenon 
Well, I, my first, the first time I saw Xenon perform was in 2003. I went to the Southern, like with classmates and, or no, actually maybe I went with, well, it doesn't matter. Um, I remember them performing the Sand Trio, which is when Fricky's, it's yeah. called Blessing of the Earth. And, you know, Greg Woletsky, Christine McGinnis and Tamara Ober, they performed other things on that program, but I was sitting in the front row and I could see like every muscle in their bodies working and every bead of sweat and that sand, the way it just clung to their bodies. And I just was weeping. I mean, I could have just like fallen limp to the floor with wow. the amount of <laughs> whatever it roused in me was, was, yeah, I don't have any words for it, but I, I knew that I was looking at a company that was just so everybody was so different and yet they all just performed so well as a group. And I, I couldn't believe their range of, of skill. I mean, they were doing like a Myron Johnson piece and then that blessing of the earth. And then they would do a Doug Verone piece. And yeah, I was just blown away by, but I never considered that I could even be a part of the company. Really. It wasn't even on my radar to think, that that would ever happen. I didn't really think much about what would happen after graduation. So things mm. sort of happened organically. Again, not a lot of ambition, but definitely <laughs> perseverance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is the motto for sure. Perseverance. Yeah, right. Well, so your time there, it makes sense now to me that you, because I remember you kind of, I felt like you always did Amy's roles. Uh, Everyone knows my <laughs> close relationship to Amy. Yeah. Amy Beam Thompson for sure, I think. Um, but I remember like, yeah, I feel like that makes sense now that you kind of took over her roles when she wasn't in the company, kind of a thing. Yeah. Right in the beginning, I took the first role I took over was um in Garden, another Winfricky piece, and then I think Corrosion, which was Johannes Wieland's work. Uh that work. No, isn't it beautiful? So beautiful. I was, I mean, it clear, clear memories of it. Mm -hmm. I was like, let's get this guy back here. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I took over for her, but then after that first year, she, she had brighter and then she came back to the company. And so then that spot for me was gone, but Linda graciously kept me on to apprentice for another year. And then I sort of started taking on like Christine, who was still in the company, but it started to be this strange layering, this overlapping mm. where I think Christine knew she was going to be leaving. But then there were also roles in previous works that I would need to fill, like Denise's role. So it would, that was a strange transition time where there wasn't really a spot for me. There were five women in the company and it was a kind of waiting to see, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And you were an apprentice for a couple of years. That's even yeah. more... Two years. It was it was a long time for me to wait. I mean, I was yeah. definitely vying for that spot. And I think it was 2008 that I finally got to be a full company member when okay. Christine retired. And so sweet of Christine. She gave me when when she left, she gave me like a little brown lunch sack with like all crumpled up with her blessing of the earth costume in it. Um like her little pink armbands and the underwear and a bra, which was all the costume was. And it fit in a little lunch sack. And she gave it to me with a note, you know, really nice note. Like she was passing it on and she was also passing on her, her company name. Like when they would go and um, uh, do outreach with the kids, everybody had a name in the name circle. Everyone had like a quality of their dancing that they, that they became in order to dance for the kids. And Christine was always the rag doll in the company. And I remember really wanting the rag doll because <laughs> <for laughs> that felt like me. And so she allowed me to take the rag doll name and she handed over the costume. So, oh, yeah. Cute. Oh, that's so great. Very yeah. gracious, too. Yeah. Amazing. And I think that was, so I just overlapped for a little while longer um, being full time at Xenon and in Black Label Movement. I had a serious back injury and like ended up in the ER oh. at that time, like a, just a big back spasm. It ended up being okay. I mean, I, I think I suffered back pain for a while. It was just too much and I wasn't strong enough to maintain all of that rehearsal. And then with all the 
you know, hard partnering in Black Label, I think I finally realized I could really only, really only do the one with, mm. and then serving on top of it. There was just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing to me as well, like as an apprentice with Xenon and having all these, you know, other new choreographers coming in and creating work, were you allowed to be cast in those or was that still maintained as an apprentice where you were just like an understudy of everyone? Um, great question. I'm trying to think. I, wow, I can't remember. I mean, I performed all the, I performed in all of those shows. Um, so I did get cast, uh, although I wasn't able to do the Janine Durning piece, um, which was a quartet for the other four women. And I was not even really an understudy. I, I guess I really didn't even learn everybody's role, but I was just sort of hanging around in the studio watching. And I think that particular spring show, I only had one piece to do in on the whole program. So it was sort of up and down. Hmm. Um depending on what the choreographer wanted, you know, if they wanted me in it, I could be, but it, um, I don't think Linda made the call. I think it was the choreographers and I can't, yeah. I just can't remember every single piece. Do you have, uh, some highlights like choreographers that you really were drawn to in their work? Cause it's such a variety that, <laughs> that they, that Xenon brought in was, were there yeah. specifics? I have a huge list of choreographers. <laughs> um, well, the first one was Janine Durning, who I just mentioned. She she really still to this day remains. Um, I just have her up on a on a pedestal. Um, and I fortunately I got to later on I got to commission her for the McKnight solo, mm. so I got to work with her again. Um, but she stood out right away. And then Andrea Miller came from New York to set booba and then she made picnic lightning and that was that was the first time i had ever moved in a way that was i guess gaga inspired i mean she had come from um i think batsheva two whatever their second company is i think mm -hmm. is where she was trained so I, I just really really loved the way um the way she moved and i felt like there was something in it that spoke to me something really like grotesque but really elegant about about her work and um Luciana Achugar when she came there was so much in her material that was just really animal I mean she spent a lot of time talking with us about decivilizing our bodies so mm. basically just losing our humanness and becoming our our animal so we we were on all fours a lot you know just sensing each other with like this you know our ears and top of our head hmm. and um i remember long stretches of time laying on the floor with everyone sort of rolling around making guttural noises and like really getting into a to a completely different state that was the first time i'd done anything like that um sam kim a great um a great one that came later in my years she also was it was really the choreographers that started to intro introduce me more to improvisational scores that i started to get attached to uh, let me see what else is on my list um yeah we i mean we danced for the minnesota opera often xenon was involved in that and those were those were fun. And Doug Verone came in and actually got to work with us for one of them. Um, that was, that was great because we were putting on like huge costumes, headpieces, you know, we had dressers. <laughs> yeah. You're so cared <laughs> for in the opera. It's, it's yes. really, yeah. Like people just change your shoes for you, you know, and make sure that you did it. That was, that was totally new to me. And I think we did probably four or five of the operas. They were hard work and long days, but because it was our group, you know, it was us sticking together as a unit, doing all of these new things together, including all the touring to uh, small towns. We just got so close, no matter what iteration of the group, you know, who 
was making up the geometry of geometry of the group. It always, we just gelled and all that time in hotel rooms and cars and like, you know, dive bars and diners, (laughs) (laughs) all of that is just as memorable to me as working with any of the choreographers. Yeah. And it's so important, I think, I mean, to truly, you know, it, it is a family kind of, feeling and and becomes more and more of a family with all of those experiences together that you're sharing, you know, the hard work and picking each other up. And, you know, all of that is so essential, I think, to what we see then on stage. Like you see that, you know, tight knit group um, cheering each other on and, and everything like that. Um, So important. And also, what a luxury to get to like many dance, you know, kind of what dance is now with project to project based more and more. Like there's so few full-time companies, uh, that ability to get to perform a piece over and over and over again. I just have such admiration for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I got, I got to do that fortunately as a, a performer, but it's just, I don't think it happens much anymore. And there's just so much more depth that a dancer gets to experience something where it's like, I don't, they're not, it's like they're coming out the other end of it and maybe even a little bored with it Mm -hmm. that it becomes just second nature. So it's like the truest, most honest form of the movement and of the, of the dance itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think early on in my years in Xenon, I, if we, you know, if I had to do something twice and, you know, relearn it off a video, it was really easy to feel resentful and like, I don't, I don't want to do this again. You know, I'm already bored and I want to do something new, but it wasn't until almost the very end when we, um, when we did our final season in 2019 and we performed storm again and that had been done so many times and it was a crowd favorite but it finally came around like that for me where i it's almost like the choreography lives in you in such a way that it's out of your mind and into your body and then it creates this gap like there's extra space in there where you can you know make all these different choices and you can see your mind while it's happening i can i can like watch my mind working in completely different ways Mm. you know to see other people in the space there's like room to take more breaths because i was always really scared of doing that dance because i i really thought that i would collapse on stage at some point but everything in the very end finally opened up and i thought you know now like after the final final show now i'm ready to perform this dance like for the rest of my life basically (laughs) i still think if the music was on i could I could pull it out, not physically, but I could remember it, I think. Yeah, I think you and Laura Sully just recently in a rehearsal for me <laughs> jumped into something. I was like, oh, that's the movement. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it'll always it'll always live in me. <laughs> well, I have I wonder how you navigated, you know, dancing for so many amazing independent choreographers as well as continuing to dance with Xenon and, you know, how do you prepared yourself for those kind of different styles and experiences? Do you, can you share a little insight on that? Yeah, I'll try. Um, I don't think that I ever felt that there was ever time to prepare. I don't remember feeling a sense of preparing for anything because everything was happening so fast, but I do know that after we finish something and, you know, in Xenon and in other freelance projects, there's always, there's many, many beginnings and there's many, many endings. They just keep rolling through, you know, you know, you begin a process and then the show is two months later and there's your ending and then you begin again and there's, there's your ending. So there's always reflection. And I think what just kept me interested was all the things I was learning about myself. You know, there's, Mm -hmm there's just ways that I would watch myself coping with struggle and, you know, sometimes watching myself really not do very well 
in <laughs> in situations where I was uncomfortable and then watching myself pull through it and accomplish it anyway. And then in freelance projects, you know, meeting dancers that I wasn't used to being in the room with, you know, they weren't my Xenon family, but learning that it was really possible for me to just instantly feel intimate with them. Like, it's funny how no matter what process I jump into, it doesn't matter what dancer is in the room, like if I've met them or not, or if I know anything about them, I automatically feel maybe this is something I should investigate now in like (laughs) the era of um, consent. But it always felt like I could just start, um, you know, making contact with them. And it would just go without saying that Mm. this, this is the kind of room that you can do that in. And we're all artists and we're all up for it. Um, so yeah, it, it was really looking back at what I had done over and over again and realizing that I was becoming a more whole person and learning how to navigate conflict and learning how to talk about what I needed or talk about what my pain was or, mm-hmm. you know, realizing that I still felt healthy and good and strong after I thought that I had just done a show that had completely would wreck me. Mm-hmm. So all of that really kept me going and made me feel like I had all the preparation I needed. Um, maybe that's naive, but it just worked for me. <laughs> it worked for yeah. me for many years. Well, I think that being open to those new processes and experiences is is definitely a huge component, you know, like having that, I don't know, entering into a space with like an open, clear slate in a way. Yeah. Okay. What journey are we going on now? Exactly. Yeah. And because I'm doing it with other people and we're all in it together, you know, that feeling of like, oh gosh, it's day one again, like day one, we don't know who's going to walk in the room and we don't know what they're going to ask us to do, but we're all going to either feel humiliated together or, you know, we'll wait to see who's the one in the room that's going to master it. Who's the one in the room that's going to feel like a failure. And then we'll all balance this out together. And then the choreography leaves and we all find a way to make that dance work for all of us. Yeah. Also, I'll say that working with Janine in the McKnight solo, which was 2010, 11, and I performed it in 12, she really set me up with like, a, I would say just a list or like a manifesto without her knowing she was doing it of things that would run now still run through my mind that keep me engaged and interested in really any process that I'm in. Um, And a lot of it has to do with just recognizing that your own mind and like all of the structures that are in place in your mind to um, inform your choices and your behaviors and your physical body, like they're all fascinating. I mean, especially if you're improvising and you're dealing with things moment to moment, it's like watching your own mind work and seeing what emerges out of your imagination. And I think I'll just never get bored with that idea. Yeah. I was going to, that was, I was thinking of how you have continued to keep your curiosity. And that is exactly the answer. I feel like you, that improvisation and, entering that space of openness uh, that you were just describing. Yeah. And I think now I'm not so, I'm not so into the idea of success. I mean, for so many years it was about, I mean, depending on the choreographer, but it was about performing the best version of the dance and to the best of your ability and, without messing up. Of course, that's what we all strive for in performance. But eventually I just started to realize that I was really drawn to the, to the things that were unrealized or flawed. Mm. And so when I'm just playing around now in the studio, I like to find out like what, I like the dichotomy of the superhuman and the, and the failure (laughs) all in one. And so that's always going to be there. Um, in my body and maybe it'll lean, you know, it's leaning more one way than the other now as I get older and I'm not um, in technique class all the time. So yeah, but I I think that that's interesting. I think that that 
that binary is interesting. Yeah. And you've really kept busy. I mean, again, I, I'm again, so thankful to get to have you in the studio. Um, but you're, you're continuing dancing with several other, like you just finished a show with slow company, Laura, um, Osterhaus Rosenstone and, mm -hmm. uh, Barrett Algren. So that all of the, the different varieties that you're continuing to dive into is just yeah. really exciting. It is. Yeah. Thanks. Um, you know, there was the time when all of us were not allowed to do anything because of the pandemic. And I also was, I thought that I was done dancing after Xenon closed and that had happened right after my dad passed. And I really, the, all of those circumstances combined made me think that I was just going to be done. Hmm. But now, yeah, now that it feels like the world is opening up again and I'm realizing that I don't, it doesn't have to look the way it did before. You know, it, it was really hard to imagine what a dance life would look like if it wasn't Xenon. But now I have enough space to to see that it can just be fun like it used to be in my front yard with my boombox. And it can be cartwheels and jumping jacks if I want it to be. Like, it just, I'm going back to the very, very beginning and trying to remember that really laughing is like laughing with other people and dancing at the same time is really the best part of all of it. And if I can just maintain that, I will keep doing dance projects as long as people will have me in the studio. Mm. with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for your time today and sharing a, a true glimpse into uh, your dance history here and the impact that you've had again, uh, just really, really strong mover and really so fun to have you in in process i i mean choreographers are lucky to have you in my mind <laughs> for sure so. thank you so much matthew i am so happy to have had this talk with you and it it makes me want to go right to the studio right now and mess around it's so inspiring so thanks for including me in this in this project of yours the studio stories thanks for joining us today next week we talk with duncan schultz presently a dancer with the Gothenburg Opera Dance Company in Sweden. 